Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to an interview episode of True North Nerds. It's Brent hanging out with you. Um, I'm all by my lonesome uh, because this is a music nerdy uh, based interview. And uh, yeah, so sometimes I get to do these as part of the podcast. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I got a screener for a documentary called Industrial Accident, which is a documentary on Wax Tracks Records. Now, um, some of you youngins might not know who they were, but uh, when I was a teenager, they were a very important record label to me. They were the home to a, the North American home to a lot of um, industrial bands that I just loved growing up. So bands like KMFDM and all the ministry side projects were through uh, Wax Tracks. Um, who else? We'd like it. Who wasn't Leibach, uh, Front 242, uh, side projects of guys from like Frontline Assembly, Chris Conley, uh, Divine, the the drag queen from uh, many of John Waters' early films. Uh, she had a single out from them. So, yeah. Um, so I watched the screener, and the, the film is very good and very enjoyable. And it's it's essentially about these two guys, Jim Nash and uh, Danny Flesher, who started a record store and then moved to Chicago and started a record label, um, releasing music that they wanted to hear. And it, it's an interesting story, and it's also like you look back on it, and the these two guys who who loved each other so much uh, and were like an openly gay couple in the seventies and eighties. And just didn't give a shit and did what they wanted and created a great record label. So after I finished the screening, uh, I got the promo info and I got a hold of the director, uh, Julia Nash, who is uh, Jim's daughter. And we talk about the film, uh, the the fun of in producing an independent documentary, as well as uh, looking at uh, the... The special releases of the the Blu-ray and the upcoming soundtrack release for Record Store Day. So yeah, if you're interested in this kind of music, I think you'll one you'll really dig the documentary, and two, I think you'll uh, really dig this conversation. So this is me talking to Julia Nash, the director of Industrial Accident. So speaking of which, I saw the movie. They sent me a, a link to the uh, the screener, and I'm going to be buying a copy shortly. <laughs> oh, you liked it? Oh yes, I I very much liked it. I uh, the minute I heard this movie was coming out, I had high hopes for it because I'm a I'm a probably a weird and a little bit of a weird anomaly for you. I'm a wax tracks kid that came out 
after like I don't even think TVT was still around when I discovered the label. So, ah, okay, that's okay. Um, you discovered it. That's the important thing. Oh, right? it, it, it's <laughs> yeah. And then I fell down a hole that like just <laughs> anytime I think I see there's a little bit of an ending, then stuff like this documentary comes out, and then there's a little bit more uh, to add on to it. Um, so speaking of the film, it I, I was kind of curious. You uh, it starts off with you going to the barn in Arkansas, where uh, I assume it was a Danny's sort of archive area or holding pen for all this material. Um, what did you expect going there? Like, did you know that it was going to be that much material, or was this going no. to be not at all? Eh. Um. Well, the the thing is, they both, both um, my dad and Danny were massive collectors. Um, so there wasn't much they didn't save. And if even my own stuff, if I didn't want to save it, Danny would swoop it up and stuff it in like a suitcase or something like just oh. to keep it. So I found a lot of my own personal things as well, which was pretty incredible. Um, no, I had no idea that we were going to walk into that sort of barn warehouse structure and see what we saw. Like, absolutely no clue. So, did you sort through the material there? or Because it looked like there was quite a bit of it. Or did, was it just like, load up a whole whack of trucks and bring it home and sort through it later? I mean, that's exactly it. And we're still sorting through things. So all these years later. <laughs> I mean, we don't do it daily. It's yeah. not like a daily, let's grab another box. Um, so, yes, there's still stuff we're going through and sorting through. Um, so you can imagine, like, it's a daunting task for sure. Um, but it's like museum quality shit that we've, you know, it's it's incredible stuff. Yeah. However, yes. So we just pulled a semi-truck up there and loaded up a semi and drove it home and to then, Chicago. And then kind of unloaded it to be sorted through later? Exactly. So we have it staged in various places so that, you know, we can move from one to the other, sort this to that kind yeah. of a thing. So it makes it a little more palatable. So And now we've just added all this new product onto it. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so how did it go from going to the barn to the the retrospective kind of concerts and and uh exhibit like was was that the sort of immediate first thing that came to your mind or was that just sort of sorting through the stuff and like man people should start seeing this that that was way way later um the retrospective sort of came about if you're talking about the live event at metro yeah or you're just talking retrospectively. Um, so the live event at Metro, that really, um, after my dad had passed in 95, you know, we had talked about doing something to kind of celebrate, commemorate, and then it just wasn't, you know, the timing was not right. Once Danny passed away in 2010 was really when we sort of thought now is the time to like celebrate them as, the two of them, because what happened 
couldn't have happened if one didn't have the other. Mm. Um, as far as like their accomplishments and anything they had done, you know, um, my dad was really more in the forefront of everything. And that's really the one who gets like all the credit. Yeah. Um, but Danny by no means played a small part in that because it without him, my dad wouldn't have had the strength to be that front runner. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and back to your question. Um, so the retrospectacle, that three day event kind of really just came about to celebrate the two of them and let's all get together and have one big party for them. And, um, so that's how that happened. And then, during that event, which I don't know if I'm answering another question of yours, um, it's a common one though. Like, why did you make the movie? Yeah, that was good. that was <laughs> going to be the follow up. How did you go from that sure. to making the film? Well, so we originally were going to put together like a live DVD, sort of to commemorate that three day live piece. Oh, okay. Um, so we did conducted some interviews for that. Um, but really what kind of touched on me was just the continual every night at each show, I had more people, more people coming up to me like, are you Julia? Or I have to tell you how much that store meant to me or your dad and Danny saved my life with what they did. And just the outpouring of fans, love, respect. And it was just incredible. And that, at that point, I was like, okay, along with this live piece, let's just put together like a little bonus disc that gives a little history about these two guys that all these people are, you know, to say these guys saved their life and what they put out there for people to hear, see, do, you know, um, they need to know who they were. So we thought we would do like this, small bonus disc of like, here's the backstory. This is why you came to the three day event. It's because of these two guys. And that just became enormous. So the interviews and stories that we had, it was like, clearly that should be the focus of what we're doing, not a bonus disc. So that's how this movie happened. So we ended up like interviewing, I think 70 plus people um to yeah tell the story i mean we really have like footage for several movies really <laughs> and it could be just because there's so many layers to it you know what i mean yeah. there's so many layers that we've said it a million times it could totally be a mini series but we don't have what it takes for that <laughs> <laughs> so um, what was the experience like putting together the film? Like, I, I imagine some of it, some of it is, you know, doing the interviews and things like that is, from my experience, is kind of the relatively easy part in some ways. But then you have to do like the the technical part, right? You have to you have to cut the film. You have to get music clearances and things of that nature, which I imagine with this documentary must have like at part seem like a daunting task. You're totally correct because we have like 45 song cues in the film. So getting clearance for every one of those. And it's not like, um, I don't have to go to Marston and Frank and say, Hey, can we use this drill kill song or, you know what I mean? There's like Brian Eno in this movie and the Ramones. Yeah. 
we have, you know, fairy, Roxy music. It's like, there's a lot of people, big people we got to talk to about this. Um, so that in and of itself was a total nightmare made <laughs> much easier, um, um, much easier with, um, some help from a very talented lady, um, in Los Angeles that we hooked up with. So she really helped us a ton of that music clearance. And my husband, Mark, I mean, he literally has had his hand in every bit of this and, um, really is the responsible one for making it happen. Um, it was him pushing because I was shutting down and I was like, no, 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 because it was really personal, very emotional mm. as much as I, as much as I really enjoyed listening to the people's interviews and, and hearing the stories and putting it together. It was still very, it was a challenge emotionally to, to take this ride, you know? Um, now I'm calloused and you can't get me to, to cry. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, um, so yes, just the interviews themselves. I mean, and that, yeah, I guess was the easiest part because, um, and that in and of itself was still logistically difficult because so many people don't live right here in Chicago anymore. Mm. There's a lot of feeling a lot, you know, then you're hiring light people and sound people in different cities. I mean, all that's been a nightmare, but, um, when it came to the editing piece and, um, I did step out of that one. Plus I have a job. I have a, a normal job. <laughs> so I, I couldn't lose my job. <laughs> so. Oh, I can, um, I can completely relate to that because this, this is not my yeah. full-time gig either, right? So it's, it's <laughs> finding the balance sometimes can be. Like, I really, really want to talk to this person, but I can only do it an hour before my shift's done. Crap. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, was there anybody you tried to get for the, the film that it just didn't work out? Like a like ch just timing or scheduling wise, like was there somebody that you really wanted to talk to that didn't, or is pretty much you got all the main players? Oh no, I mean there's certainly several people that um, just I mean it it was so hard to get to. Um, we would grab people say if they came through on tour, we could talk to Liebot or you know. But we couldn't fly all over the place yeah. for, for everyone. I mean, and then when people are coming through on tour, they don't have a ton of time. Like um, Ogre from Skinny Puppy, that was a drag not getting him. Um, Peter Murphy, we had lined up a couple of times, and he's sort of like, that didn't work out. That's fine. Um, who else? Marilyn Manson was another. Um, sure, I wanted to talk with Michael Wells from greater than one, but he's like lives in a little town in Spain. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like really hard. And, and at one point we were thinking like, maybe we could do like Skype interviews and sort of integrate those into the film. And that just like aesthetically, it just doesn't no look good. Yeah. It just doesn't quite look as good at this point. No, it doesn't like all quality all the way around is not great. So, um, that, that kind of hindered some things for sure. But I think, I mean, essentially, like I said, we had 70 plus people. There yeah. were some old employees I would have loved to have um, connected with. Um, and that, again, very difficult. 
But then in the end, you know, 70 people, how many actually made it in the film? Once you're starting to do a storyline and the flow of the movie, you end up losing a lot of those people that you loved having, Mm. you know, their input, you know? So, and that's just the nature of it. You know, if you kept everybody, you'd be a snooze fest. (laughs) Um, But... Uh, yeah, so that's the answer, long answer to your short question. Yeah, I I, uh, I noticed that, so in, in sort of prepping for this, I found on YouTube somebody had recorded one of the Q&As at the, one of the screenings of the film, and you mentioned uh-huh. that you had, uh, you there's some interviews that didn't make it, like uh, Patty Jorgensen was one, apparently, that just ended up being cut out for various reasons. Um, are right. We, are we going to see any of that stuff? Uh, I noticed uh, the... There's a Blu-ray with a second disc of all sort of bonus material. Are we going to see sort of like extended versions of some of these interviews and some of the stuff that didn't make yes. the final cut? Yeah, definitely. Um, again, that one, th- there were so many, oh, so many things to include. But the, and I don't know if it's just like fresh to me this bonus disc, but I love it so much. Okay. Like if I could do this little six city mini tour with the bonus footage (laughs) instead of the movie, I'm telling you, it's so fucking good. I love it. It's hilarious. It's like, it's genius. If I can brag, (laughs) (laughs) but it's so, it's so great. It's so special. And yes, Patty Jorgensen is in that piece. There's just, there's some more, um, you know, the biggest struggle for me making this movie um, is just, like, kind of conveying the sense of humor my dad had. Mm. And without him around, I mean, I had okay footage, but he's not super comfortable being filmed or photographed or interviewed, and I totally understand. But, um, so, it's just, like, he was so hilarious. Like, such a wicked sarcastic man and that was kind of my my biggest struggle making this movie actually and I feel like a lot of that comes through on this bonus disc at least just like if it's not somebody talking about a sense of humor or telling a story they're telling their own story but very similar context of like how my dad would have would have been so it's just I love it I love it so I noticed in the credits you've already mentioned that your your husband worked on the film, but the film on a whole, like, not a, is it only about like your dad and his partner and like the family you grew up in? Uh, looking at the credits, I noticed that like it's a bit of a family affair putting it together because if I'm not mistaken, is it your daughter was listed as one of the camera people? Yeah. So um, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's how we kind of move through life. I mean, our family is huge and that's, you know, a big part of how it was with my dad. It's how it was with my mom. Um, and sort of that family he embraced and nurtured all of those years. I mean, it's kind of one of those things that's very close to me to, to keep that sort of intact. So everyone had some hand in this movie. It's still very family centered, you know, even the, just the core group of people that helped out have been around and with us forever, you know, from the wax tracks days, old label employees, old store employees. Um, we all just sort of chipped in and made this work. 
Um, and yes, both my kids were involved in it and <laughs> suffered with us not talking to them for days because we were editing. You know, it's like, when are you guys going to be done with this? You know, we want our parents back. <laughs> um, so the the film has done some screenings at uh, film festivals and we're going to get a wide release in a, a couple weeks, I guess now at this point. Um, have uh, have you noticed what have you noticed in terms of the response to it in in both like you know people have seen the film and and sort of side effects like I was reading online that basically your film has gotten Al Jorgensen and Paul Barker to start talking to one another again which as a lifelong ministry fan. I did not think that was ever going to happen. And your film is kind of at the center of how that did. I, you know, I don't know if it's directly, you know, because of, of the film, but I, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe just the fact of, you know, having people sort of go back and sort of sit there and look at this really true pure love story of, you know, not just the love my parents had for each other, mm. not just the love they had for the music, but I mean, it was the artists too. They all were, they were all like my older brothers, you know? So, um, and maybe that kind of struck a chord and it's like, you know, life's too short, you guys, to just keep fighting or ignoring or not acknowledging each other. So let's, let's move on and move forward. I mean, yeah, it's awesome. You know, Chris and Al, I think were the first ones to sort of mend fences. And then, um, Frank from thrill kill and Al, that was next. Um, I was a part of that reunion. That was really great. Uh, that was in Denver. Um, and a lot of fun. Just the two of them started talking like, nothing had no time had gone by Mm. Um, that was really awesome and we all had a blast (laughs) um yeah i mean if it's because of the movie great you know fuck yeah that's awesome i don't want people to not like each other you know that's so good Yeah, I was just like, I watched it and then like literally, I think after I finished it up, I was doing research and I saw that and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> it's yeah. not anything yeah, I ever awesome. kind of expected. But um, yeah, so thank you really from great. from me and the other ministry fans. We don't know if anything will come out of this, but. <laughs> I sure hope so, because yeah. that baseline with Al. Come on, you cannot beat it. Yeah, no, I I am very much of the the same opinion. Um, yeah, so I, so I'm good. I've only got a couple more things, and the these are a little sort of outside the margins. Uh, I'm currently working on a book uh, that is about the uh, the albums that changed my life, and as part of uh-huh. that book, I'm interviewing lots of music fans from every genre like every occupation you can think of currently i've got everybody from film directors to actors to pro wrestlers that i've talked to and that's so cool yeah so i'm kind of curious um is there any albums you can point to that it really changed your life and have stuck with you over the years because i imagine from watching the documentary uh no music was not allowed other than maybe john denver 
Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and still, you got to keep in mind, I lived in Kansas with my mom. So oh, okay. On the radio, my friend. Um, God, records that have changed my life. I would have to say, I can think of three. You can go with as many um, as you want. That first Bow Wow Wow album, for sure, for me. Okay. I would have to say Adam and the Ants, um, Kings of the Wild Frontier, and Human League reproduction, probably. You got to realize when I came of age. Too, yeah. So. Oh, um, <laughs> if you look at the, the the chapters in my book, it's like you can totally tell. Okay, he was in high school in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Yeah. It's not um, everything that's in it, but it's definitely like the the core of it is. You can tell how old I am. I think that Kink Sleepwalker was like the first seven inch I ever bought. Um, which was like. I loved that, you know, man, there, I thought that's a tough one. Really? Oh yeah. Start really in, but I could say for sure, any of those three records, if they come on, I am just like, it totally hits me in the gut. So those are my choices. Good picks. I, I, I love it when I, I hear like, and it's not ones I would have ever gone with, but at the same time, it's like, Oh, those are all killer. Um, so I guess the to, to sort of finish up here, um, you have now started a little bit of a career as a filmmaker. You've made one. What's kind of <laughs> next for you? Is is this going to be kind of the a one and done, or you think is there other projects on the horizon? Um, as far as like film type projects, none that I know of, unless something is happening that I'm not aware of. Okay. Um, but. To be honest, uh, just what's coming up, I think we're still uh, in all of this sort of as we're making the film and all of that. We still would like to to do a coffee table book. Um, But again, you know, the amount of archival stuff and it's and uh, we give a little sampling of 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 a book that comes in the um, deluxe. And the records for day, whatever you'll see it. Yeah. Um, so there's a little booklet in some of the in the release, um, which I love. It's beautiful. I loved it. I love it. Um, and then, so coffee table book. We talk about some type of museum piece. Um, we really would love to talk to the MCA about doing something out here. Um, and that is probably it as far as like on down the road. The immediate future is really just like hoping that we can sort of step back after this release is underway yeah. and we get all the equipments out and we can like just, this is awesome what we just did because we really have not been able since, I mean, we have been doing this for 10 years, you know, like this whole situation, like from 2010 on so that's just shy of 10 years um but you know it's been a long long time and we need to just sort of stop for a minute and appreciate what has just been completed because we really didn't know if we were gonna finish you know yeah i i can imagine just the amount of work and it was yeah it was a lot a lot of work 
a lot of work. And right. I still have a job, which is amazing. <laughs> and I didn't get fired. Or <laughs> have, has anybody from your day job seen it? No. No. <laughs> I keep that. I have two lives, I guess. One is my nursing life, which I love. Um, and then I have my other, you know, it's just like it's a separate deal. I really, I never even told anyone I was doing anything until they started seeing it in like press. So then it was, and same with like when I was in the Dave Grohl series, I didn't tell anybody. I don't, don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, and then they go, Hey, in an elevator, I saw you on HBO or I'm like, nah, nah. I know. Moving on, moving on. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, oh, uh, before I let you go completely, the you do have a record uh-huh. store day exclusive, correct? Yes, we do. So that one is um, out on record store day, of course. Um, Blue vinyl, that one we just unloaded off the truck today. It is such a beauty. Um, so record stores will have that particular version, and then there are certain record stores in the cities that we are doing this mini tour. So there's a handful of record stores that were picked in Chicago, Austin, Toronto, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Um, And those particular stores will have kind of, I would imagine larger quantities. I'm still waiting for piece counts on everything, but, um, and those each purchase in those special cities, select cities will have, Two tickets to the movie and the ministry show yeah, with purchase. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I so wish I could travel for it. <laughs> and I think that announces coming the like the 28th of March, something like that. I'm thinking mm. like we're going to do it around there. Just like when we have all of the stores solid and we know who's who. Um, then we're going to make that announcement for people. And that was my conversation with Julia Nash. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, uh, if you are interested in purchasing the documentary or, uh, a lot of the music that I mentioned in the interview, um, the best way to go about it, I guess, would be go to, uh, www.waxtrackschicago now waxtracks is uh written w a x t r a x and it's uh, waxtrackschicago.com and there is uh buttons for a shop and you can uh, buy for yourself if you're a record store there is uh an area for wholesale uh orders and if you just want to discover a little bit more about the uh the the label itself there's plenty of information in there um the store uh just be warned um so it's got vinyl versions of the and cd versions of the soundtrack to the film there is a what they call the cash grab edition box set which has a lot of stuff in it and it's going to have a seven inch that won't be reprinted anywhere else um beyond that you can get shirts and and hats and all that fun sort of stuff. And at the bottom of the store, there's a lot of uh, old uh, out-of-print 
CDs and vinyl singles from various bands from Wax Tracks history that they, I, I'm assuming, I didn't get into it too much with uh, Julia during the interview or afterwards, but I'm assuming it's as they kind of go through the boxes every once in a while, they, they find more stuff and it goes up on the store. And some of this stuff doesn't last forever. And it's a, a little bit, if you're a collector, it might be a good idea to go through. So... Yeah, um, the uh, the film itself, uh, the from their store will be shipping out April sixteenth, so that, that's uh, when you can get it. And as well, the uh, the the soundtrack, uh, the vinyl record store version, they will be in store for stores for record store. So check your your local independent record store and see about its availability. I don't know how many units are going where. Um, if I get an update on that, I'll update uh, you on a future episode of True North Nerds. In the meantime, you can find us at um, our new home at uh, truenorthnerds.com. And uh, you can always find us on the various streaming and downloading stuff for your podcast, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and all that stuff. So, yeah, hope you enjoyed that interview. And until next time, uh, have a good one. Oh,